Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Well, we've been uh, looking at a, a particular verse for a few weeks now, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and it says this, And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So last week I started uh, talking about love, and, and I focused on the, the love uh, that God shows us. We're told that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. We're told that not only that, God loves Everybody, no matter their background, no matter who they are and what they believe, God loves them. We're told that while we were still sinners, God loved us. He didn't wait till we got it sorted out and everything happening properly. He loved us as we were and where we were. The key point of my message last week was that actions speak louder than words. When we look at someone, we can't immediately see love, but we can see it in their behaviour the way that they they act and the things that they do. And that gives us some insight into the love perhaps that they have for us. A man that I I had a little bit to do with over the years is a a Christian psychologist. And I heard him speaking at a a, a conference I was at. And the the message uh, impacted me quite significantly. And he talked about the the battle that there is and how futile it is trying to change or modify someone's behaviours. He said it's really hard to actually shift someone's behaviour unless we change their belief system. And the example he gave is that um, AA had done some research and and the AA have have been absolutely fantastic in helping a lot of people deal with uh, alcohol issues and get free of alcohol. But one of the the issues or the, the problems that they had in the system and the way that they went about things was it doesn't always deal with the the psychological uh, problems that that could have led to the alcoholism. It doesn't necessarily always deal with the the struggles or the the coping or the pain of the past that that some people drink to to forget. And they realised that, and, and it's not true for everybody obviously, but for some people they can stop the, the drinking addiction, but the addiction's actually passed on to other things. So the, the behaviour continues and the realisation, and, and there's been changes, but that our beliefs have to change in order for our behaviour to change. Last week, I touched on Old Testament law, and I said that the law, much like our laws today, doesn't have the power to change our beliefs or our behaviours. It puts a line in the sand and it says on one side of the line you're fine, on the other side of the line you've crossed it and you've broken the law. In in Australia we have a lot of campaigns kind of trying to give us insight into legislation around driving in particular and why they do that. And there, There used to be a lot of education campaigns and they had limited success. These days we tend to get the really confrontational graphic uh, video or or clip of an accident or someone that's been texting and something happens and drink driving or speeding or not wearing seatbelts, rather than educate us that it's wrong, they're actually showing us these particular clips because it it has an impact on our beliefs. 
we see something like that and we begin to, to realize we don't want that to happen and we, we can start to make changes. And so rather than educating, they're trying to shift our way of thinking. And that's the difference between Old Testament law and what Jesus did in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was a line in the sand. It was about changing our behavior. But Jesus, when he came, wasn't about behavioral modification. Jesus came to bring transformation, change our belief system. And by changing our belief system, as as my friend the psychologist said, when we change someone's behavior, it doesn't always impact beliefs. But when we change someone's beliefs, it always impacts their behavior. And I said all of that this morning to say this, love is a demonstration of our actions, our beliefs, the internal workings of our heart. They, they help us create behaviour that's evidenced by the love that others see. If we're to live lives of love that reflect our place in the family of God, if we're to be marked by love for God and love for people, trying to do something is not enough. We, what we need to do is change our thinking. Listen to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, a verse that some of you will know quite well. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I think this verse makes a lot more sense to me when I think about it in terms of changing our thinking, our, our beliefs, rather than our behaviours. Don't copy the behaviours and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. One of the main objects of Jesus while he was here is the transformation of our lives. We, he, uh, there's always a call to action with what Jesus says. He didn't ever teach and preach just to impart knowledge, but to see transformation and life change take place. When I uh, first became a pastor, one of the highlights of my role was uh, taking a wedding for the very first time. I uh, was a bit nervous and, and I'd done a lot of preparation and uh, this uh, wedding was a bit different. I was doing part of the wedding. I was doing all the legal parts of the wedding and someone else, an, a pastor from Australia, this was in New Zealand, was doing the message and, and all of the other bits and pieces, and so he, he got up, and I, I was sitting there a bit nervous, kind of counting down till my moment happened, and he got up and he said, look, I just want to welcome, welcome everybody to today's funeral. At that particular moment, all my fear went away. I thought, I cannot stuff it up as bad as that. But taking weddings is, is a huge highlight uh, for me, and just being able to be part of uh, a couple's life and, and the journey up till the day and, and on the day. And at weddings, I, I uh, do a message, and I've got kind of two messages I do at a wedding, and one of them is geared towards a, a very unchurched uh, couple or, or audience and another a bit more uh, for for people who uh, have a church background. And, and I normally get about seven to ten minutes to do my message, and and. Today in the whole thing of love, I actually want to take a little bit longer and, and give my wedding message this morning in, in a padded out form because we're talking about love and relationships. And I, I, I don't know about you, I don't remember a whole lot about my wedding except Kerry. Uh, 
which is probably the thing that I should remember from my wedding. But the, the rest of it's a blur. Do you, Nick and Hay, do you remember my message? No. No, you see? Rubbish. James and Jenny, do you remember my message? No, rubbish. <laughs> I clearly need to find something new to do because nobody remembers. But we don't because the, the overwhelming, yeah, you're, you're overwhelmed by the beauty of the person standing beside you, or in your case, Hannah by Nick. And, and <laughs> it, it's the moment and, and all of that, that happens. What I should have done this morning is got you guys dressed up in your wedding gear and walking down the aisle. And anyway. Dangerous, no? <laughs> okay, well, we'll maybe we'll, we'll leave that for another day. But um, I realise that not everyone in here is married this morning uh, or even in a relationship, but um, the, I, th- I think the principles that I am talking about today are a lot broader than just a marriage context. And so I, I think they can be applied to all of our relationships in, in one form or another, so I'm hoping today that that uh, you, you can learn and grow from this as well, whether you're in a relationship now or there's one on the horizon sometime. My key text today is from Colossians 3 as well, Steve, so well done, picked the right chapter this morning. Starting in verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and let, and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So that is, is the, the passage this morning and, and it, it, it really is using a, a metaphor about uh, clothes. So it's describing a love and the way we should do relationships and the garments that we put on. Ringing any bells yet? No? Okay, great. It says first, oh, you guys, yeah, we have a winner. It says first put on compassion. Compassion literally means a heart of pity. I want to tell you a story this morning. This is a story of a little boy. Let's call him Johnny. Little, little Johnny was shy and a little bit socially awkward. And the, the kids' church that he was part of were doing a Christmas play. And he, he really wanted to be part of it and, and he, he loved uh, going to kids' church. And, and so the, uh, Christmas came around and the teacher thought, what role can I, I give little Johnny? She decided she'd give Johnny the role of the innkeeper. Really important role, but... Uh, an easier role for him because all he had to do was one line. I'm sorry, we have no room. He'd gone to the rehearsals, everything was good. He was really excited about the opening night. His family was all there. As the play progressed and there was a knock on the end door, and he opened the door and, and there were Mary and Joseph standing there and said, please, sir, do, do you have any room? Little Johnny says, I'm sorry, we have no room. And, and the boy playing Joseph was probably the complete opposite of little Johnny. He was very outgoing and, and, and he decided to use some creative license at that point and go a little bit off script. And he says, but sir, we've traveled such a long way. Surely you have a room. Little Johnny was a bit taken back by that in the moment and, and wondered kind of what he was going to do. And then he just decided to go with it. And he said, I'm sorry, we have no room. And, and again, the, the Joseph says, but, but my wife's pregnant. Surely you've got a room. 
I'm sorry, we have no room. At that, uh, Joseph had decided he probably pushed it as far as he could and they dropped their head and they started walking away. Little Johnny had got so overwhelmed in that moment and seeing them dejected and walking away, he said, stop, wait. With a tear rolling down his eye, he said, come back, you can have my room. <laughs> While he got the story of, East, of Christmas wrong, in a moment he showed us what true compassion looks like. Compassion is that heart of caring for other people. Compassion is an inner attitude that we have towards someone else. It cares when someone is struggling. It responds when it has the capacity to do so. Compassion is a hallmark of Christian love. On top of compassion, we're told we need to put on the garment of kindness. Kindness means the quality of being friendly, generous, considerate. I reckon that would be a great thing to be accused of, being kind. There was a a thing, and and a lot of you will know about it years ago now, but um, a random acts of kindness, and it kind of swept the the world for a while. And and, and while random acts of kindness is great in principle, I think kindness should always be intentional. We should always be setting out to live lives of kindness to those around us and perhaps a little less randomly and more intentionally. I think this world would be a much better place to live in if we were all a little bit kinder. It may seem like kindness should be part of every relationship. We know that that's not reality. Sometimes people don't treat each other with the kindness that they should. Sometimes people act selfishly. If we want to display the behaviours of love, we've got to come to terms with a life of kindness. Kindness, as Steve read this morning, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. That means that it's the outcome of a God-centred life. It's a result of transformation and maturity in us. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, it means it doesn't come naturally. It also means that as Christians, we should display greater measures of it than anybody else. Then there's another item of clothing that we're told to put on that's good in all relationships, humility. Pride can destroy relationships so fast. When it comes to disagreements, pride is a roadblock. Humility is a pathway. Pride seeks to be right at any cost. Humility determines to build relationship at any price. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12 said, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Gentleness is another garment that we're told we must put on in our relationships. Gentleness is a garment of the God-controlled person. When you put on gentleness, others can take off their self-defensive armour and begin to put on trust. Gentleness is more than just the way we act. Gentleness is evident in our speech as well. The Greeks had a word for gentleness and it came from uh, two specific words and I'm guaranteed to mispronounce them this morning, but Prates and Epitachus. Proudies means humility. 
It means considerateness. It means meekness. It usually refers to things or objects or people. Words that are gentle, soothing medicine, uh, uh, some soothing actions or soothing feelings. They also used it in, in reference to tame animals. It's something that we would expect from our friends. Pedicus, the other word, is used to express a balanced, uh, decent uh, outlook on life, a good citizen, an admired person, a trusted individual. Plato, Greek philosopher, called that the cement of society. The Greeks defined gentleness really as power under control. And their word picture was of a horse that had been tamed. That was how they displayed or or the the wording that they used to describe what gentleness is. And it got me thinking, what what could be a word picture that we would use today? We could use the horse. We we all understand that. But I was thinking about the the cyclone in in Queensland and the the trouble that has been up there. And there's incredible strong winds blowing and, and rain coming and it's bringing complete devastation to, to everywhere it hit, an extremely powerful force. But then we stop and we think about that same flowing of, of water through is what creates power as it goes over the turbines and the dam. It's what ge- the, the wind generates power as it begins to blow through turbines. It's the power under control. Gentleness is not something for wimps. I think gentleness, having incredible power, but being in control with that power is an incredible strength. Next, we're told to wear patience. Relationships take patience. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 uses the same sort of words as our passage from Colossians. Let me read it to you. Therefore I, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I really love that phrase, making allowance for others because of your love. I, I think right there is the heart of a strong relationship. Relationships of people we love, they make allowances for others' faults. That's been pretty easy for Kerry in our relationship. My only fault's been a lack of humility. But marriage in particular, the first year of marriage, which some of you in the room are in, the, the, can go to one of two extremes sometimes. For Kerry and I, the first year of a marriage was just bliss. It was just incredible. Uh, it was everything I'd hoped and imagined and dreamed it could be. We, it was just a great year. But for one of my really good friends, groomsmen at my wedding, the first year of his marriage was hell. They had, uh, they clashed over everything. They were arguing all the time. It was a, a real challenge for them working out how to do this married life together. They worked on it. And as they made allowances for each other and, and, and grew, their, their love was never in doubt. But it was a real incredible challenge for them. Fifteen years later, got a wonderful family and a great marriage. Part of the process that they had to go through 
was making allowances for one another. I think that's an incredibly powerful thought. And I think if we could learn to be people who make allowances for others, for their struggles, for their weaknesses, for their deficits, for their issues, for their baggage, for all that they are, I think if we live that kind of life, it opens up the door for that to be reciprocated. Because I guarantee you, you've got as many issues as that person does. You've got as many struggles and weaknesses and as much baggage. We all need to make allowances for one another. And I think that's the hallmark of a great relationship and a a great community. When we accept that we are going to make mistakes, that people are different, that things aren't always going to be silky smooth and polished to perfection. But it's okay that there's an occasional smudge because we're people of patience. Another essential garment of marriage, we're told, is a spirit of bearing with one another and forgiveness. A spirit of forgiveness makes really hard things more endurable. Maybe it even erases them. One of the most important things I can say to anybody in a marriage, but also in our relationships, is to be liberal with the use of one particular word. Sorry. Sorry opens the door for forgiveness. In a relationship that's in trouble, where pride comes into play, it can become more important to win an argument than to restore the relationship. When we desire to win, there are no winners. But when we are prepared to seek forgiveness and be ready to forgive others, I think it builds an endurance the relationships will endure and survive. If compassion is marriage's inner garment, and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiveness, or it's active wear, shorts, pants, skirts, and socks, then the overcoat is love. Colossians says, on top of all these things, put on love. Love keeps a marriage warm. Love's not merely an emotion. Love is the display of all those other attributes that we've been talking about, and I'm sure there's a whole lot more. But I think love is made up of two particular things that are incredibly important for a marriage to endure, but in our relationships. Marriage in particular, it's commitment and it's caring. It's the solid ground on which our relationships rest I commit myself to you. I will be there for you because I care for you. So the problem with a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships, is we have an exit strategy. Things don't quite work out how I want. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll just roll on to the next one. If they don't agree with me, that's okay. More fish in the sea. But when we have a commitment and a care that's genuine for the people that are closest to us in our lives, I think that lays a solid foundation for a great relationship. The clothes that Colossians invites us to put on are not made of natural fibres. They're woven of spiritual stuff. Try as as we might in our own power, we actually need the help of God to create them. For instance, human nature would tend to say, I'll do my fair share, or she deserved it. 
or it's his turn to give in. Compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, and love. These don't come naturally. They develop as we grow, as we become more like Christ. Worship team, come and join me this morning. So let's look at our action step today. Remembering that in, in all of the messages we do, we're striving to have a practical application, something that, that you can do. What would be great to do, regardless of whether you're married or dating or engaged or you've just got great friends around you, I want you to think about a relationship that's important to you. If you're married, hopefully it'll be your spouse. If you're dating, it's your partner. If you're single, think of a friend that's important to you or a family member. Now let's consider the qualities listed in our key text. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Which of these things in your life could use work right now? Sure, they all could to some degree, but which one could you focus on developing or displaying more of? What does that look like for you? If you're taking notes, Why don't you write down one or two things that you could do this coming week to grow in one of those areas. Perhaps you need to read a book. Perhaps do some research or have a conversation with someone. And just to be really left field, perhaps for some of you, you need to go and say sorry to someone. Show that act of forgiveness. While you're thinking this morning and perhaps writing some things down, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for the power of relationships. God, I want to thank you that you sought relationship with us from the very beginning. You displayed love for us as a model from the start. God, I I want us as a church to be full of great marriages, great relationships strong friendships. God, help us to be people who are not too full of pride to say sorry when we get it wrong. God, help us to be people that always offer forgiveness. God, if there's areas of our relationships that there's strain and struggle in, Let's pray now in the quietness of this moment, God, you show us a way forward. Show us your wisdom, what we can do to continue to build that. God, I pray for every married couple in this room this morning. God, may their marriage go from strength to strength. May their relationship together, their love for one another continue to grow and be evidenced in all that they do and say to each other. God, give us the humility to recognise when we're wrong. And God, the strength to go and do something about it. God, we pray for relationships that are connected to us this morning that are fractured, things that are broken because of stuff that's been done, things that have been said. God, I pray for restoration and reconciliation. 
God, where it's possible, we pray you help us to make a way. God, for those in here this morning that are estranged from family members, God, I pray you'd be at work in that situation. God, you'd help us to show those around us that we're different because you've made a difference in our life. God, we declare our love for you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.